Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. It's great to see you. Uh, first of all, thank you, Nate, for sharing from your life. And uh, I'm excited that you're stepping up to black coffee the way Jesus drinks it. It's awesome. And uh, to the teens, I want to let you know that uh, good friends of ours just gave us about a 10-pound container of M&Ms right before Nate shared. Yeah, so Reese, Sienna, Wilbur, Stuart, Owen, you know, my, na- my neighbor friends, they come over for sugar and other teens, so we're amply supplied there, so that's awesome. The title of the message is The Faith to Say Yes. You know, there's a lot of things that we say yes to that don't require any faith. Like, a few days ago, Michael texted Cheryl and I and said, Hey, we want to go out to eat on Saturday. Will you babysit Hunter? That did not require any faith on our part to say yes to. Now, I don't know if it required any faith on their part to ask us, but we're not talking about that. Now, maybe when Hunter's like a big smelly teenager, it might require more faith to say yes then. But right now, no faith at all. It's just like, oh yeah, you know, we just hold him. And feed him and look at him. You know, it really doesn't take a whole lot of work or effort to go, yes, we'd love to do that. Now, every year, you have decisions in your life, some that are easy, that go, well, well of course, I want to do that. You know, I've been, I've been mocked by members of my family and they said, you realize last year you told the church you were going to get down below 190. I said, I did. I got down to 185. And they said, yeah, but then you gained weight. And I said, I did not tell the church I was going to keep it off long term. I said I was going to lose and get below 190. And they said, well, what kind of vow is that? And I go, well, that's the one I made, and the last half of the year was really awesome. But, you know, there's, there's the first half of the year I had to say no to a bunch of stuff, and then the second half of the year I got to say yes to other things, and now i got to start working out again, and I, I rode my bike with Norm yesterday, and so I'm, I'm one for one. Uh, got a hot streak going. But as you enter into the new year, you, you're making plans. You're trying to figure out what you're going to do, where you're going to go, what you're going to accomplish, what your plans are going to be. And there's certain ones that you put down, and you put it down, but you're not really doing it by faith. It's almost a given. And then there's other things that you're actually nervous to commit to. Because you're not really sure that you want to pay that price. Or that if you pay the price and make that commitment, you're not sure how it's going to work out. So you're, you're nervous to even put it on the list 
or tell somebody else, oh, this is my resolution. It takes faith to say yes to what matters most. And I'm reminded in the Bible about a time, and this is where Moses is overlooking the promised land. He's standing on top of Mount Nebo. It was always God's plan for His people to go inherit the promised land. And Moses had sinned against God. He got angry at two million Israelites complaining all the time. And God said, speak to the rock and bring out water. And Moses went out there and he had a little fit and took his staff and struck the rock. And water still came out. But God said, Moses, the people are going to go, but you're not going to go. But I'll let you stand on top of the mountain and you can look at the promised land. And you get to the end of Moses' life in Deuteronomy and you still hear him struggling with that. Because he recounts that story and then he goes, and then you guys, he's talking to the Israelites, and he goes, and then you guys made me sin. And so the Lord wouldn't let me go into the promised land. You know, he's still kind of struggling. And God holds us accountable at our best, but he also holds us accountable at our worst. So here you have a moment where Moses is looking over the promised land. Notice the title, the promised land. Land, the land that was promised by God to his people. It was not called the land that hopefully one day, maybe somehow you're going to get lucky and win that, you know, land inheritance lottery. You know, I'm guessing that nobody in this room won either of the two big half billion dollar lotteries since I didn't hear from you. But sometimes we view the promises of God and the plans that he has for us like that lottery. Like, well, maybe this year I'm going to get lucky and the blessing's just going to happen. And yet God's like, no, no, no. I promise this. And he promised the land. But this is a moment where Moses is looking at the fulfillment, but he didn't get to experience it himself. I don't know how you feel about 2017. You know, if you inherited those promises, then you look back on 2017 and you say it was amazing. You know, I was talking to Graham Jones. Actually, his family was the giver of the 10-ton tub of M&Ms. It's my family. But he was describing a devotional that he had with his wife and his daughter where they just went back and recounted all of the blessings that God gave them. Like, kind of the first time miraculous, you know, blessing or whatever that happened in 2017. And he said, we could think of, like, I think he said 37 amazing things that happened in our immediate family in 2017. And he said, and this year we want to do it every day. And so far every day we come up with three or four things that we recognize, this is from God. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's the way we ought to live our life because the promises are there. But you know, sometimes if we're honest, we feel like Moses on Mount Nebo. Yeah, the promises were there, but I look at my life and it's kind of like, 
I'm just looking at the promise. I didn't get to live it out. I didn't get to experience it. I'm not, you know, enjoying that. I'm just kind of seeing it from a theoretical point of view. So what, what do you have in front of you in 2018? You know what? You have a lot. But there's a key role that you must play. So what is it? You must say yes. You see, the promised land never happened against their will. And we're going to read about that today. You see, we can love the idea of the promised land. We can love the idea of blessings fulfilled. But we don't want to step out on faith and say yes to our role in that equation. What's our role? Oh, we're going to say yes. And it's going to take faith. Let's go to Numbers 13 and read a great story. So, just a a little intro here. So, God tells Moses to send out spies into the promised land. So, you know, they've they've gotten out of Egypt. They've gone through the desert. The law has been instituted. They got the tabernacle. They got the Holy of Holies. They got all this great stuff. And now they get to the place. They get to the place that God told Abraham about. And he said, I'm going to show you. And you're going to go. And Joseph talked about it. And Jacob and Isaac, they talked about it. And here's the moment where God says, okay, this is the blessing. It's going to be fulfilled. It's the promise. Now, go and send the spies out and then come back and we're going to go take the land. And so we pick it up in chapter 13, Numbers 13, verse 26. This is the 12 spies. So as they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. The men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Twelve spies went. Ten had one perspective and two had the other. What's the first thing we need to focus on? If we're going to say yes by faith, point number one, we need to be able to say, we can. We can. What do you believe you can do? What are you able with God's power to do? You know, isn't life interesting? Sometimes God says, no, you shouldn't do this or you can't do that. And then we fight and we go, yes, I can. 
I can, it's not that big of a deal. And God's like, no, you can't. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And then there's times where God says, you can, and you're like, no, I can't. I want to, but I'm not going to be able to. I'm going to fail. You know, life is kind of trying to figure out what we're going to say. Yeah, we can. I love this quote from Henry Ford. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Now, I think about the 12 spies. Joshua and Caleb said, we can certainly take the land. The other ten said, no, we can't. You say, who was right? All twelve. The ten, they didn't. They couldn't. And all the grumblers ended up wandering around the desert for 40 years until they died. But you know what? Joshua and Caleb, they could. And they did. Who was right? All of them. You know, the fact is, your 2018 is largely going to be determined about what you believe you can do with God's power. So what are the things we have to wrestle with? How about this? Do you believe you can live the Christian life? You go, well, I don't know if I can be perfect. Well, let me answer that one. You can't. But living the Christian life is not about being perfect. In fact, 1 John 1 says that if you claim to be without sin, you lie and deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. So the whole idea, I don't think I can be perfect, therefore I can't live the Christian life. Well, God says you can live the Christian life. God says you can seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He says that in Matthew 6. How about being transformed? You know, on the bike ride, we were riding with a friend of ours named Cliff, and we started talking about church and Christianity and things like that. And he says, do you try and make uh, people's lives better through Christianity? And I said, not really. And he's like, oh, really? You know, we're riding along. And I said, because Christianity is not a self-improvement program. It is a total, radical transformation. And he's like, oh, that makes sense. But see, sometimes we want to compartmentalize God and we go, well, I just want my life to be better in 2018. That is never God's plan for your life. He goes, I want you to be transformed. And Romans 12 says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God says, you know, you, don't, you just don't see a verse that says, today I'm trying to make you 1% better. God says, no, I want you to be renewed daily. I want you to be transformed. You're a new creation. No Earl Shive 99.95 spiritual paint jobs. 
If you're young, you, who's that? Your parents will explain it. That's not Christianity. Christianity is new. It's radical. It's total. We can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We can change lives. You say, what do you mean by that? We're not trying to improve their life. No, we're trying to make disciples. That's what Jesus called us to do in Matthew 28. Make disciples of all nations. If you make a cake, you don't set all the ingredients on the counter and come back and hope you have a cake. You have to crack the eggs. You have to... Depends on what level of expertise of ingredients you're mixing. You either open the box and pour it in with some oil. You've got to stir it and pour it into the greased pan. You make the cake. We're called to make disciples. It's radical. Do you understand how amazing it is that Jesus tells us to make disciples of all nations? That means he gives us the authority to look at somebody's life and go, you know, the way you're living your life, your priorities are all messed up. You value the wrong things. You're not focused on what you ought to focus. And so you just need to completely change. You need to obey God and his word. You need to deny yourself. You need to seek the kingdom first. You know, if you're too busy, you need to quit a bunch of stuff so that you're available to do God's will in your life. That you can have that conversation with somebody and be totally within the boundaries of being appropriate. Now, they may not feel that that's appropriate, but that's not the issue. The egg doesn't feel like it's appropriate that you crack it on the counter and stir it into a cake. But nobody asks the egg. I want cake. I don't want pie. I want cake. And I don't want fruit in the cake. I mean, who are we fooling? It's not healthy cake because there's fruit in it. God says, make disciples. That means the most hard-hearted person that you've known for decades, you can change their life. We can. That's what the Christian life's all about. You become a Christian and then God leaves you here to change lives, not to exist. Like God is not, well, I'm really glad that you're saved. Hope you don't sin before you die and miss out. Good luck. No, you're saved. Now pass it on. Change lives. Tell somebody. Get involved. Make disciples. We can. We can forgive others. Forgiveness can be on a different type of scale. Sometimes there's the, the raw hurts. On one end, and then sometimes there's the annoying person on the other end. 
we can forgive. You see, the most amazing thing about our ability to forgive is it has nothing to do with the other person's response. Forgiveness is between us and God. Is it easy? No. But we can. We're called to forgive as Christ forgave us. You know, that's just an interesting passage to think about. What if, what if Jesus used the measure of forgiveness with us and evaluated our lives and said, well, let me, let me look at how you've lived your life once you've known what's true and right and what the Bible teaches, and let me base my willingness and ability to forgive you on how you've dealt with your own life. All of us... We say praise God. Praise God that Jesus forgives differently. And yet the Bible says we can forgive one another as Christ forgave us. We can. How much faith do those things require in your life? Short list. We can or we can't. The promised land is there. You're overlooking it. What's it called? Oh, it's 2018. But what are you saying on the inside of your heart? Like, yes, I can. Or are you coming back going, I can't? First thing we got to do is say we can. Point number two It's the next thing. We looked. You know, the spies all went out and they saw a bunch of stuff. They looked. They saw. Some saw opportunities. Some saw obstacles. I love this quote from Wayne Dyer. If you believe it will work out, you'll see opportunities. If you believe it won't, you will see obstacles. Isn't it amazing how the same 12 people went and saw the same promised land, saw all the same stuff, and two came back and said, yeah, we can certainly do it. And ten are like, we certainly cannot. You know, preaching sermons is kind of that way. Sometimes you preach a sermon and somebody goes, I hated it. And sometimes the person next to him said, I loved it. Same sermon. Same scripture. Say, what's the difference? It's perspective. What do you see? What do you hear? Opportunities or obstacles? What's your 2018 look like? Are you excited because all the incredible opportunities laid out before you? Are you afraid? Kind of filled with dread, uncertainty. You know, I've embarked on this master's degree with uh, 12 others in the L.A. church. And, uh, you know, the first semester is now officially started as of yesterday. And the guy, Greg Moretzky, that was one of the main coordinators of it, was talking to him about the workload, ended up, he goes, yeah, it's, it's more work than what we thought. And as we kept getting syllabus 
and the books to order. Ended up with 12 books to read. And I started feeling like, that's, that's more books than what I thought I was going to have to read. And I remember in the orientation, the director of the program, who was a, a Church of Christ minister for 22 years and now the dean of the Rochester College, which is a Church of Christ University in Michigan, he said, one of the things I've noticed in my life is when I start feeling stressed or anxious, more trust in God is required. But you know, as I saw the syllabus and the books come in through Amazon, I started feeling that stress. Like, okay, I need to go back to God. As you embark on 2018, you're, you're looking at either opportunities or you're looking at obstacles. You know, what are some of the things they saw? They said, it does flow with milk and honey. You know, it's amazing. Nobody said it didn't. Even ones that said, we can't take the land. They're like, yeah, that's right. And they brought back fruit, grapes that Nate can't eat. (laughs) You know, isn't it amazing that all 12 agreed, oh, yeah, it's incredible. It's everything God told us it was going to be. It was exactly what he promised. It's amazing. All 12 saw that. What else did they see? Well, they saw the Giants. San Francisco Giants. Bad ones. Descendants of Enochites. You know they're bad. Oh, yeah. Well, let's just say, you know, when you name your team after the bad guys in the Bible, that's just not a good founding principle for your baseball team. Anyway, I'll move on. Giants. Tall people. They're afraid. You know, our, our perception of size is interesting, isn't it? It's kind of like skill level. Like, you know, growing up, I played basketball through junior high, and I was an okay basketball player for a small town in Iowa. Certainly couldn't have played college ball. But I was not the person ever picked first in a pickup game. And I remember when I moved to Toronto for a summer to do research, and I would go to the rec center at the University of Toronto to play pickup basketball league. All of a sudden, I became the man. Now, I can tell you this. My skill level had not improved. I went from being an okay basketball player to the one that they would fight over picking first. I'm like, yeah, this is pretty awesome. You know, you can feel good about yourself, then you run into a giant and you go, oh, I'm like so small. They're like tall people, and then Grayson comes around. (laughs) Tall people feel short when Grayson hangs out. Grayson and his brothers are like 6'8", 6'7", 6'6", 6'5". Paul and Tammy are tall themselves, his parents. They went through a lot of food. But we can do that, right? We can feel pretty confident, and then we end up in the company of giants. 
Maybe you feel pretty good about your job, and then you end up in a group of people that own companies, and you're like, oh, the giants. It's like, which, what's your perception? You see the giants. You know what else they saw? They saw something that didn't exist. Grasshoppers. You say, well, where were the grasshoppers? There's milk and honey and giants and grapes. The ten of them come back and go, we saw grasshoppers. Where did you see the grasshoppers? Us. Like, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes and we seem the same to us. You know, you can have an, a totally distorted view of reality. Like, can you imagine this conversation? You're going back to Moses. And you're giving your account. Hey, what would you see? Grasshoppers. And Caleb and Joshua are like, it's not true. Yeah, grasshoppers. We were the ones. You know, when you lack faith, you can come up with some crazy justification and rationalization because you are afraid. And you're trying to make it sound good and you're trying to make it clear to somebody else but somebody else with faith is like, what grasshoppers? I don't see any grasshoppers. Yeah, there were. And then there was the unseen. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is not living life in such a way that by sight I can be totally convinced that the decisions I make are all going to work out perfectly. No. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Romans 1.17 says the righteous will live by faith. It is impossible to be righteous before God without faithful living. But we want to live by sight. We want assurance. We want to see it. We want to know it. We want to touch it. We want to experience it. And once I have that confidence, then I'll step out. That's not faith. Joshua and Caleb saw the unseen. They saw the giants, but they saw a God that said, ah, they're with us. Even later, as Joshua and Caleb are recounting, they said, their protection is gone. That really wasn't true, because the giants were there. But how could you make a statement like that? Only if you see the unseen. You see, Joshua and Caleb looked at God and said, Ah, the protection they got, it's nothing. We've got God. Say, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. Do you see the unseen? You're still waiting to hold it in your hands before you step out on faith. There's not a one of us 
that knew for sure that we would be a good husband or that she would be a good wife or vice versa before marriage. There's not a one of us that knew how our kids were going to turn out. There's not a one of us that knew how that new job was really going to be. We don't know. You can see some things, hear some things, look at some foundational items, but at the end, you make a decision by faith. And you make that commitment going, all right, here we go. And that's what God expects. You've got to have eyes that see the unseen and be willing to live by faith. You know, they go back, and this is point number three, we obeyed. Now, maybe there should be a question mark on this, because at this version of the story, we're not really sure. Joshua and Caleb were trying to obey. The other ten were not. And you hear the people, and, you know, they're like, ah, we got to get rid of Moses. He's a bad leader, and there's all this stuff, and they're begging him, like, please don't do this. Come on, we need to obey God. We need to take the land. And in chapter 14, we read in verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among them, who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. The Lord is pleased with us. He will lead us into that land a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. You know, it's interesting the plea that was made. And they're trying to reason through, but he kind of boils it down to one thing. And he says, do not rebel against the Lord. And to boil it down, here's here's the choice. My way or your way. My way or God's way. We can make it fancy. We can have all of our arguments, all of our feelings. At the end of the day, we must choose what we will obey. God's way or our way? Will we obey our fears? You know, fears are paralyzing. They're powerful. Fear can run the show. Fear can be the driving force of every decision we make. We're trying to live life, set ourselves up so that we, uh, we never have to be afraid. But the problem is, when fear drives our life, there's always things to be afraid of. So sometimes we obey our fears. Sometimes we obey our lies. You know, the ten, they obeyed the lie that we, we were like grasshoppers. That wasn't true. That's how they felt. 
wasn't true. You go, yeah, but I feel it so strongly. So, does God say your reality is true? Would God agree with your assessment of the situation? You know what's amazing? Is the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That means that we can try and justify disobedience to God because I didn't have a choice and I don't feel like I can do it and I'm not strong enough and I'm not faithful enough and I don't have enough wisdom and I don't know enough Bible and I don't know this and I don't have this. And God says, no, that's a lie. You say, yeah, but I feel it so strongly. You ever try to explain something to someone and they go, that's not true. And then you give them another version of the same story. Oh, this will convince them this time. You know, our reality is either true or false in God's sight. We can be overwhelmed and God's like, well, that's not true. And it still boils down to, will we obey? You know, Joshua and Caleb said, he, he will lead us. They saw God. He will lead us. We will devour them. Their protection is gone. Man, don't you wish in every difficult situation of life you just had that faith? You know, sometimes it's easy to come by and you go, I know it's going to be rough, but yeah, we're going to do it. Then other times you're like, I don't know. But God is still calling us to obey. You say, what, what choice are we going to make? You know, the final verse I want to look at is found over in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And with all this in mind about the promised land, the writer of Hebrews says this, starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because though they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest. And you go back and you read chapter 3 and everything leading into it. He's talking exactly about what we just read about in Numbers 13. And for God's people, the Israelites, there was that promised land. It was what Moses saw when he stood on Mount Nebo. Hey, God says for you and I, we, we have a promised land. We have a Sabbath rest. We have that eternity in front of us too. But we have a choice. 
And we must have the faith to say yes. This is now we who believed enter that rest. We have the opportunity to go inherit the true promised land, not the physical one over there in the Middle East, the eternal one. He says, we've heard the message too. Say, does the message have value? Well, do you have the faith of those who obeyed? And then we go down to verse 9. It says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So what's the context here? Let's talk about the true promised land. Listen, we're God's people. We have the opportunity. We have it in front of us. But what's required from us? A faithful yes. A faithful yes that obeys what? That obeys the Word of God. That living and active Word of God. That's sharper than any double-edged sword. This says everything's uncovered and laid bare. What's the point? Our faithful yes will be judged by our obedience to the Word of God. God has an incredible year in store for you. Do you have the faith to say yes? Are you going to see opportunities or obstacles? Say, so what's it going to be? What are you going to say yes with God? I can. Or be paralyzed from action by going, we can't. Say, who's right? Both. You have the ability to make a difference in what happens in your 2018. We know what God wants. It boils down to our faithful response. Will we say yes? Will we obey his word? 2018 lies before you. Let's make sure each one of us looks to the scriptures and has the faith to say yes to what God calls us to. Let's stand as we close in a final song.